Today's TripCast is sponsored by TASBO. In the documentary Heroes and Harvey, discover how Texas public schools met the challenge of Hurricane Harvey at tasbo.org slash hurricane hyphen Harvey. And Texas Bankers Association. For almost 200 years, Texas banks have been cornerstones of their communities. We are the Texas Bankers Association. More at texasbankers.com. Texas talking. Hi, this is Chairman Larry Gonzalez from the Texas House Representatives, soon to be former chairman as I am resigning uh, later this week. You know, 21 years ago when I first walked into that beautiful building as a young, eager staffer, Nobody gave two cents what I thought about anything. And today, nobody gives two cents what I think about anything. I hope you guys enjoy this week's Stribcast. And with that, I send you back to your host, Patrick Zvitek. Thank you. This is Patrick here on Wednesday, June 6th with your Texas Tribune Tribcast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined this week by CEO Evan Smith. I like uh, Larry Gonzalez mispronouncing your name. <laughs> is, is that technically a mispronunciation to overemphasize the first syllable? No, you can't mispronounce it as long as as long as you get as that long first syllable. Right. Yeah, you, yeah. You know, that's my, the that's the big hump. You as you know, my, my, my yeah. favorite thing is, is, is Dan Branch, the former representative uh, from uh, Highland Park, who, who thinks your name is Patrick Civtech. That's a, that's a common one. That's, that's like a common a, one. That's like a complete. That fail. is Svitek. That's a major Svitek. Svitek. All, all, all forgivable mispronunciations. Nothing is forgivable. Never no, forgive. No, no, I'll give it. Never to forgive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going to have yeah. to deal with all those people that call me Ralph now. Right. <laughs> Ralph, Ralph Ramsey. Ralph a lot. Yeah. yeah, I get that a lot. We've got executive editor Ross Ramsey, Ralph, too. Ralph Ramsey. Ralph, Ralph. Hello. And uh, reporter Emma Platoff, not Platoff. Yeah, just don't call me Emily, and we're good. Okay. So. <laughs> good. All right, and reminder, we'll be taking your questions via Facebook and Twitter, so please send them our way, and we'll try our best to get to them. Uh, Ross, before we get into some of our uh, pre-planned topics this week, you broke the story this morning that our intro- introductory uh, speaker there, State Representative Larry Gonzalez, who's a re- Republican from Round Rock, is resigning effective Thursday. Yeah. He didn't file for re-election. He already said he wasn't filing for re-election or wasn't running for re-election. Uh, are there any political implications of, of this decision? You know, it's an interesting district. It's a Republican district right now because Larry Gonzalez is a Republican, but uh, it's a swing district. It's a district where Trump and Clinton were, you know, just a nail-biter apart. Part. The Abbott uh, margin over Wendy Davis wasn't as wide in that district as it is in some others, and there's a real chance that the you know it's a competitive district with a with a Democrat and a Republican looking for an open seat. The first person who praised him on the way out was the Democrat. Was the Democrat right. right? It was kind of interesting. Uh, uh, in our lifetimes, a Democrat has represented that district, so it's conceivable that a Democrat right. could represent it again. I continue to be obsessed with this idea that Austin has gotten unaffordable. And people with Austin values and Austin proclivities, but not Austin enough money values. to live in Austin. Democrats being, is what you're saying, right? Are being pushed. Oh, I, mean, I think he's saying Democrats. People, people who vote like Austinites, not Pflugervillierians or whatever the hell they're called, right? People who live in Austin and would vote like people who live in Austin are being pushed out of Austin into places like Cedar Park and Leander and Pflugerville, um, but are taking their Austin voting patterns with them. That's my theory. It's not a blue wave, right? it's a blue ooze. And, and so that, that's why Tony Dale's district 
uh, up in Cedar Park and why Larry Gonzalez's district are right. at least susceptible to the idea that a you know a, a pitch from a Democrat might not have and, and been why as the well received previously, but is more well received now. And then why some of the Democrats think M.J. Hager can beat uh, can beat John, John Carter. Carter. And this uh, the Democrat in that district, James Tallarico, is perceived by a lot of people, Democrats and Republicans, to be a very good recruit for them. Young, energetic. Um, John Ossoff, without all the bullshit, is sort of how he's been described to me. <laughs> um, I don't know if that if he'd like that characterization or not. The, the stylings and, yeah. of Evan Smith, and he's made no uh, no bones about making overtures to Republicans, not just today, but he also in his announcement speech he praised Joe Strauss, he and praised Larry Gonzalez, right, said, "I'd exactly. like to be the kind yeah. of representative." You know, Larry there's a back call every time he does that from the Republican in question. Going, <laughs> right. Would you please stop doing this? <laughs> and and the empower wing of the Republican Party fielded a candidate in the primary named Jeremy Story, who, by everybody's estimation, underperformed in the primary against Cynthia Flores, the eventual nominee who Larry Gonzalez supported. One of the, the sort of tributaries off the main body of water here is that the number of Hispanic Republicans in the legislature is likely now to go to down. It's down to two um, now. It's uh, Jason Villalba, who already lost his primary, right. and J.M. Lozano. J.M. Lozano. Uh, Gonzalez resigning makes it down to two, but both Gonzalez and Villalba will not be back. The only seat, I believe the only Hispanic, Repu I, may, I hope, hope we don't have this wrong. The only Hispanic Republican who could potentially be elected to serve in the 86th legislature is Cynthia Flores, who is the potential successor to Larry Gonzalez. Yeah, I haven't looked. I'm, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. But so in any case, I think Larry Gonzalez's departure and Vialba's departure mean that the party, the Republican Party, which hopes to be a party of inclusion and a party that is, uh, you know, welcomes all people from all ethnicities, all backgrounds, everything else, uh, it's less diverse in the legislature next time rather than more as a consequence. Of yeah, this. Ross, yeah. quick question. What, what are the governor's options for a, a special uh, election in this The case? next uniform election date is uh, November 6th, the same as the general election date. He can, you know, governor can say anytime he wants, hey, this is an emergency, get me somebody else in there. So he could call an election before then. As he, he did with Blake Farenthold's. If he really felt yeah. like he had to, uh, the last House member who quit like this was the other Larry, Larry Phillips, uh, who's now a state district judge, I guess. And the governor put his special election replacement thing on November 6th. So I would think that's the precedent. What would the advantage Gonzalez. to the district be of having somebody serve uh, uh, from November the 6th through January the whatever? Well, you get somebody you get somebody to serve there. You know, that's just the way it works. Um, he has to the, he has to call that election. What would be the advantage? Could, could he decide not to call a special? No. He has to call a special. He has to call a special. Law so, compels a special. Law compels. So then it has to be no later than November 6th. Well, November 6th is the next um, uniform election date. So if he doesn't right. call an emergency before then, then it would probably be on November 6th. But he's likely to call it for November 6th. What kind of the advantage? What emergency could there be in Pflugerville? The only, the only <laughs> the advantage is closed. It's, like, it's, what it's, is the, yeah, what's right. the emergency? It's all, it's all politics at this point. You know, if, if you call an election early, it's to get somebody else uh, the advantage of being an incumbent, both for whatever that means for fundraising and for calling themselves an incumbent in debates and right. campaign appearances and stuff. The only advantage to being elected in a special election on November 6th, the same day you're elected to a full term, is it gives you six weeks of seniority over everybody else in your freshman class, which means you get first pick of office space. So something. Yeah. And a parking space. I was at that Ikea recently, and the restaurant is actually closed for the record. 
No more Swedish meatballs. Yeah. Call Larry Gonzalez. This is an outrage. temporary closed. They're renovating wow. it. There is an emergency in Florida. Until the special election. <laughs> you, you are a very strange person. What are you eating at an Ikea for? I know. I don't what? eat an Ikea. I, not that I hold judgment against so anybody that does. Oh, 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 I was oh, at that Ikea. Oh, 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 Civtech. Let me tell you something. was shut down. I absolutely hold anybody who eats at Ikea to serious account. I have eaten at that very Ikea. I'm not that, that place so. is so big, you got to stop for nourishment in the That's middle true. of the hike. That's true. There's a starvation factor in there. <laughs> I got lost in side tables, and I had to, I was struggling right. to find food. Stuck in lamps. Uh, Emma, one of the, the reasons, moving on from that topic, Emma, one of the reasons, to save something the a little more substantive here. There's been a lot going on in the courts this week and that affects Texas. Uh, one of the things that you wrote about is this case that we've previously covered about an undocumented teenager who received an abortion that was against the state's objections under federal custody. The Supreme Court weighed in on that this week. Uh, what did they have to say? So this, this case starts last fall. An undocumented uh, minor in federal custody in Brownsville sought an abortion. She got the legal clearance to do that. It's obviously kind of a challenge in Texas. Her problem was that the shelter would not release her. Um, so it winds its way through the courts. Eventually, a federal appeals, appeals court in Washington, D.C. clears the way for her to have the abortion. She has it the next morning. A week later, the federal government appeals to the Supreme Court. And that's what they ruled on this week. It's this kind of narrow measure. Did they have enough time to appeal the federal appeals court ruling to block her from actually having the abortion? This is kind of an interesting question because clearly, you know, she's terminated her pregnancy. She's no longer pregnant. This happened in late October. Um, but more of a symbolic fight, I guess, for uh, the federal government and for states like Texas. They didn't want the people that were opposed to the abortion, even though it had taken place, wanted to kill the precedent, right, for, for future cases. This, this but, is all about what happens in the future. Right. But the, the problem for them is that this, <clears throat> this ruling doesn't really affect that precedent. There's another case, a class action with other Jane Doe's in similar situations. And right now there is an injunction in place that blocks the federal government from this Trump administration policy of refusing to release uh, these young women to get abortions. So as you see in a lot of these court cases, it's, it's easy to claim a victory when it's maybe not as, uh, as big a victory well, as see, you might right. see, yeah, see the, the cake baker uh, uh, situation right. similarly. But he, well, here's the question. Is this an abortion case or is this an immigration case? I think that Republicans, conservatives are trying to frame this as an abortion case. This was never an issue of whether a young woman in this country has a right to well, an abortion, Well, this is the right? point. Abortion is legal for the right. time being. The, right? Like, why? I don't understand how it's an abortion case. The legal question was, does the federal government have an obligation to release an undocumented minor immigrant? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I can, and they I mean, say I, no. I'll say I think it's an immigration case. I, I, think, I, I think it's an immigration case. Yeah. But. Right. And it's consistent with the policies that we've seen that have led to Jeff Merkley being kept from the, the, the detention center down in, uh, in Brownsville and everything we've been hearing about and reading about. The, the conversation around immigration has taken a dark turn, and it's turned uh, completely over like in the last 18 months. Right. So this, is, this would be another piece in the puzzle, but there's a larger puzzle at work here. Well, and I think a lot of that is what's driving the politics of, you know, you're finally getting some at least noise of movement in Washington about, you know, figuring out an immigration, figuring out some immigration legislation because it's become, you know, a lot of the positions that people have been holding for a long time are can, becoming Can we untenable. say a word about that uh, host? of the Tribcast? Go for it. So Abby Livingston, our uh, Washington, D.C. bureau chief, reported this week, as others did, that uh, right. Philemon Vela and Vicente Gonzalez, two of the members of Congress, Democrats, both representing communities in the Valley, had finally agreed to sign the discharge petition alongside Republicans and Democrats to force a vote on immigration policy. The one remaining Democrat, not just the one remaining Texan, as I understand it, but the one remaining Democrat, period, who has not joined with the discharge petition is Henry Cuellar from Laredo. 
And a sticking point for at least Vela and Gonzalez, as I understood it, was that any immigration reform bill that might be forced to be on the floor would contain some border funding as a carrot to, I mean, a, a, a border wall. Wall, wall funding, pardon me. Border wall funding. Border right. wall funding as a carrot to presumably the president and his allies. And Vela and Gonzalez are still pretty pissed off about any me measure that would in in include that. I, I w I'm saying all this is a long windup to say I'm not sure that we are making progress. I, 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 I would be very skeptical about the idea that any of this is going to get resolved anytime soon. And even if the House passes something, is the Senate going to be able to pass? I mean, the House and the Senate in Washington are as screwy in relation to one another as the House and the Senate here. Well, and uh, McConnell just uh, shut down most of August, so... Uh, well, he shut it down by, by which he opened it up. He's keeping them in session, right? He, he canceled the recess. So conceivably, they could consider something yeah. in oh, yeah. August. Don't. I guess also, what's, the president's not going to sign anything like this. I mean, they would have to load it up with so many of his bells and whistles that they probably couldn't get it passed in the House. Hmm. So I guess I'm, I'm like, we don't have the benefit of Abby here. Abby's the expert at this, or Julian right. would be the expert sure. at this. But I'm, I'm a little bit doubtful of whether the immigration stuff... I think he'd take anything that says wall in it. You think he Trump would? Yeah. I think we just don't know what he want. You know, he's he's waffled so many times on the dreamers question. It's just hard to predict. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to the SCOTUS case that Cla we mentioned, classic, though. Classic non-resolution of a topic on, on the Tribcast. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get some comments. Or good, in Congress. Good work, Tina. <laughs> you, you had written, going back to the undocumented teenager case, mm -hmm. that uh, even as SCOTUS weighed in, it didn't address some of the legal questions at the heart of the case. So it doesn't amount to a clear-cut win or victory for Texas or the Trump administration, does it? No, and I think there's this other case I mentioned, and right now this policy of uh, restricting these young immigrant women from leaving the shelters for their legally approved abortions is under is being blocked by a federal court. So there's a class right. action moving forward. We'll see what happens there. Uh, yeah, I think the, the real question here has not been resolved yet. Yeah. Evan mentioned the other case that was in the news this week, the uh, cake shop decision. Uh, didn't happen, or I don't think it originated in Texas, but clearly there could be some uh, impact on Texas. Tell us about that case and then what you found about how it could or could not impact Texas. In a resounding? <laughs> <laughs> in, in another case where it's easy uh, for everyone to claim victory, right. the court ruled 7-2 in favor of a Christian baker from Colorado who said, I will not bake a wedding cake for a gay couple. Um, again, we're seeing Texas Republicans as well as Republicans nationwide say this is a huge victory for religious liberty, but it really was a, a very narrow ruling, and I'm sure we'll get into what that word means. But um, they, they didn't say, uh, they didn't give the baker what LGBT advocates have called a constitutional right to discriminate. What the baker wanted and what his lawyers wanted was for them to say, you know, under the First Amendment, you have a free speech protection, you do not have to use your art, your baking, to endorse a value that you don't share, right? Gay marriage. Um, and that's not what the court said. They went back to a kind of procedural issue in a much lower level of the case, and, and that's why they ruled in favor of the baker. They said the Colorado Commission that ruled against the baker in the first place was basically biased, and and that the bias was so apparent that, you know, they they undermined that commission's ruling. It's interesting that this is perceived as a free speech case, which I guess it's been described it could sign, have been if right. they decided that way. They, Our, they wanted it to be a free speech case. The court did not want that. Right. No, but 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 the people on the people bringing the suit. Right. Uh, Including you know Ken Paxton, who led yeah. a dozen attorneys general in a friend of the court brief on behalf of the baker, and yeah. Senator Ted Cruz, who did the same uh, for federal Republican. Uh, Civtech and I have a fellow Northwestern alumnus named Peter Alexander, who's an NBC News reporter, and at the White House briefing yesterday, he asked Sarah Sanders, the White House press secretary, why is 
a baker who chooses not to bake a cake for a gay couple proper and exercising his free speech rights, but a football player who kneels to protest police brutality is not okay in exercising his free speech rights. And Sarah Sanders said, well, the president doesn't believe that a football player who kneels is exercising free speech. We, we are in such muddy territory in terms of right. what is and is not free right. speech. I just don't, that, that's why the whole idea of this is, a, I would not have thought of this as a free speech case. But well, I guess I guess Justice it is Kennedy whatever, agrees with you. So. It, it is whatever people describe it. And, you know, as you say, a lot of Republicans in Texas are beating their chests right. over the fact that this is a massive victory. I don't think it's just in Texas. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm only aware. focused in, in right. my in my Twitter feed are people like Matt Krause and Jonathan Sines. Right. You make your Twitter feed whoever you want to have in there. <laughs> it's all right. full of I'm, I'm looking at the people who would be apt to celebrate this as a massive victory. And they're playing to type as far as that goes. I just don't know enough about the law. And what right. I'm reading suggests that, in fact, as you say, it's not as much of a victory. People heard narrow ruling and they thought it must have been 5-4. Actually, Breyer and Kagan voted with the majority on no, this. 5-4 is a close ruling. A narrow ruling a narrow is when ruling they just has do, it, to do a with narrow section of the law. Of the law and, you know, how they right. interpret the law. And in that respect, based on what you're saying, it is fairly, right. fairly narrow. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think Evan covered it, but I, was, I mean, I was going to ask. I mean, tell us what this narrow <laughs> ruling means exactly. The, the phrase, <laughs> word narrow adjective means in that case, because everyone was lighting their hair on fire over this the other day. Right. So the Supreme Court, you know, like many courts, they want to decide a case on as they want to make as little news as possible, right? They they want to make as little law, new law as possible. So as Ross explained, they decided this based on a, a lower court, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, saying they had treated the baker unjustly. Um, they did not say under the First Amendment, you have a right to refuse to bake a cake for whoever you want. Um, so that's what we mean by narrow ruling. It's it's not the vote, as, as, as we've alluded to. Yeah, they want to avoid stories that have sweeping in the headline. Yeah, like. no no sweeping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no sweeping, no landmark. It's no, good no having landmark. a courts reporter. We didn't always have a courts reporter. It's good to be here. I'd, I'd bake you a cake, Emma. <laughs> oh, thank you. However your last name is pronounced. <laughs> All right, before our next topic, I'd like to thank another TripCast sponsor, BNSF Railway. Fort Worth-based BNSF Railway employs more than 9,400 people in Texas with an annual payroll exceeding $1 billion. Find more at BNSF.com. You're very natural reading those sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Did you see the pre-roll earlier? The, the, uh... Was it great? Oh, it was great. Was it great? Yeah, yeah. You're like the George Clooney of pre-roll. I'll play it back for you later. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> uh, Ross. S said no one ever. Put your hand to your ear when you do this, right? Um, before we get to the next topic, a few things here on uh, our questions. Uh, one question, one comment. First, the comment, Ikea is in Round Rock, not Pflugerville. Did one of us oh, mess that up? Get yeah, over yourself. I'll put that I squarely I, on no, everyone. That was yeah. Is that the Wait, furniture Round lobby <laughs> complaining about this? Oh, Round Rock and Pflugerville are different places. Did anyone places? conflate those two? I don't think, I didn't hear anybody, but <clears throat> we'll make sure we keep that in mind next time. Okay, um, we'll edit all this out in post. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and quickly going back to the Larry Gonzalez topic, Lorraine asks, conversely, is Austin becoming any redder? As you have, I, could pre I, I don't see it in any of the numbers. Well, you know, as you no. Have, yeah, uh, yeah, paid sick leave seems like a real conservative <laughs> yeah. totem, doesn't it? Okay, so I guess the answer is, is no. Uh, not at this time. <laughs> Although Western Travis County is pretty red. Yeah, but you know, Paul Workman said the other day when we were doing an event together uh, uh, for the Tribune on Friday, he was observing the fact, I, I think I didn't know this, that Gerald Doherty, the one right, Republican the Travis County Commissioner, commissioner right. is not running for re-election again. And the assumption is that that seat is not going to be won by a Republican. Well, I also heard Paul so Workman describe paid sick leave as, you know, socialist. So maybe communist red for Austin. Right. But not the... he's, yeah, he's he's a huge fan of paid sick leave. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's really big on it. Lo loves it. All right. Ross, you had a, a column this week on land commissioner George P. Bush. 
an internal Oof. audit report. Yeah, before I knew his, he rode bird, you know, bird scooters all over downtown. Yeah, right? his claims of fake news when, he, when, when this came out during his primary, which he, he right. did win. Um, tell us a little bit about that string of events. So the Austin American Statesman got hold of a draft of an internal audit at the Texas Land Commission that was critical of the structure and financing. That was a Tyler, uh, my brother Jonathan Tyler. I think it was Tyler had the story, but um, the structure and financing that the GLO put together to take over the Alamo was fraught with problems in the auditor's mind, and they had a draft audit out that was a couple of three weeks before the Republican primary, and um, George P. Bush was being opposed in that primary by three other people, including Jerry Patterson, the former land commissioner. So, you know, this became kind of a flashpoint, but Bush dismissed it as a doctored report and suggested there might be something criminal about it. One of his aides called it, or at least one of his aides called it fake news. They completely dismissed it, and um, the final audit came out last week, and it looks almost exactly like the audit that he had dismissed earlier. Well, they and had, it has yeah. this line, you know, audits always have this, auditors have this standard where they go back to management and say, you know, point by point, what do you think about this? And the first line, they went through it point by point, but the first line of the management response was management has no issue with these recommendations. Seriously. Right. Uh, so at the time when they claimed it was doctored, the press, we and others said, what's doctored about it? And they declined to tell us. That right. should have been a red flag. Right. right. Well, it was kind of a red flag, but you, if you don't know, you can't say, right? So, you know, basically they lied their way out of it. They, you know, they deferred the truth at, at best. They deferred the truth until deferred after it was operational. <laughs> you know, it's like deferred. Jerry Patterson's yeah. put away. And now we can say, well, yeah, the audit was right. Right, right. Was the official version that got out, was it word for word the same? I mean, have we... The, in, in, you know, in the Did main, they have, like, yeah. anything to hang their hat on? Well, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I didn't do a, a word-by-word yeah. analysis yet, but the main recommendations were exactly the same. I'm pretty tired, I'm not alone, I know, in this, of, of, of people using fake news to dismiss things that they don't like or wish hadn't been written right. or would have written differently if they had written them. The word right. fake has a real meaning to it. Right. And it means false. And if you call something fake news and it is not false then it's just some bullshit political term. Right. That well, speaking of bullshit terms, I mean, and I use the term, so I'll apologize in advance, but, you know, the late, great Ben Bradley said, you know, when did they start calling it spin? It's just lying. Well, you did use the word spin. That's right in your column. But, I mean, right. it, it, look, I, I think at this point now um, the Bush campaign should have to answer for what happened, and they haven't. Right. Well, right, right. And, you know, and, and the, you know, in a broader sense, this is how you build political reputation. You're either, you know, you're a person of your word and you run a straight operation or you don't. Yeah. You know, you got to live by what you do. But, of course, the flip side of that is this all came out. People called BS on the on the management of the Alamo. Right. Patterson loudest of all because it was in his self-interest to do it. And Bush sure. still won without a runoff. Right. So maybe the Bush people can say this has been litigated by the public. Oh, I'm sure that's what they'll say. <laughs> right? right. And they made a decision and the election's over. And Right. Blah, blah. Blah, blah. Where, where does this rank in terms of, you know, spin to lies? I mean, it's not Watergate, but, I mean, but it was a pretty straight up. I mean, you know, they know how that organization was set up. They knew what the auditor who was an internal auditor employed by George P. Bush. Um, they knew what the auditor had. They knew what the thing was. They knew the whole situation. They could see the whole thing. And they misled the public about it before the public decided who should be the land commissioner. So I think, you know. If pretty pretty, lie, pretty easy to understand. If you're going to lie, lie at a time when in American society, broadly, people are shrugging at people in political office, lying regularly and without right. consequence. 
right? Yeah, I think you know the you know the you know there's a pretty strong public impression. Yeah, they all do that. You know, it's too bad for them. That's, That's why true. they're so respected as a class. That's right. Yeah. All right. Let's talk uh, more politics. Uh, the U.S. Senate race in specific. There was a new poll out this morning from Giffords, the anti-gun violence group that had Beto O'Rourke trailing Ted Cruz by six points. You've seen some other results in other polls, obviously. Uh, this weekend, O'Rourke is about to complete his tour of all 254 counties in Texas. This morning, we saw a new attack from the Cruz campaign against O'Rourke over a tax case his mother's uh, furniture company was involved in. Race is obviously heating up. Where is this race at as, as we head into the summer? We're in the yo mama phase right. of this race, <laughs> which is not where I thought we were going to be right. six hours ago. <laughs> I can't top that. I, I got mean, nothing. It's true. It's right. Who, who attacks somebody's mother? This is, a, you know, what's unusual about this <clears throat> on this Texas ballot is that this is a race. You know, the others don't look like races. The governor's race doesn't look like a race. Uh, everybody downstream is trying to get enough attention, which is kind of the normal thing for candidates downstream and the only race really at the top where voters are paying attention kind of on the marquee is this Senate race. And it continues to be to sort of confound the normal formula of Texas is red, the Democrats should shut up. You know, this one keeps floating back up as, you know, maybe that is competitive. Maybe that, you know, this is kind of this is more interesting than the Republicans hoped it would be. Although it depends which poll you're reading, right? I mean, in April, Quinnipiac said this was a three-point race within the margin of error. Last week, we were told it's an 11-point race. A new polling firm, obviously a liberal-leaning group, has it at six points. It's, it's kind of hard to say. And to that liberal-leaning right. group question, an excellent point, <clears throat> the breakdown by party of this poll is a, a, a pinata for the Cruz people to whack at, isn't it? Is it really? Well, the Democratic sure, yeah, I mean, identification yeah. of the people they polled is much higher than the population. What, what the Cruz people at least claim the population would be by right. the Right. I mean, the Cruz campaign has been looking very closely at the uh, scrutinizing the party ID breakdown of the samples in all these polls. And yeah. um, this latest one appears to be heavier on Democrats, but certainly not as out of whack as the, uh, for example, the first Quinnipiac poll, which had it too close to call. Right. Uh, or something right, like so, that. So, so, no, so, I, generally, so. I think I think the polls this far out, you know, including ours, when we do polls, you know, in, in May and June of election years, don't tell you what's going to happen in November. They sort of is a, it's a survey of what's going on right now. Most voters haven't made up their minds. Most voters aren't paying. Is that attention what you're going to say when our poll comes out in the? I am. I am. I am. You know, our poll is a, j it's a great poll. Well, it's a great poll, but it doesn't tell you how the race is going to go, and you know, there's a big soft number in the middle of all of these polls. Cruz is much better known than Beto O'Rourke is. And a lot of people, you know, are saying, I don't know enough about O'Rourke to have an opinion of whether I like him or I don't like him. And yet you get a result where the, you know, it's like somewhere between three and 11 points apart. I mean, you but, know, but let's, but let's in, in October when they actually decide and vote, in November when they actually decide and vote, then his name ID will be up and you'll actually know what the, the numbers the, are. The people who say we have to dismiss this Quinnipiac poll that shows this at an 11 point race because no one knows who O'Rourke is. But we love the three-point poll well, that's several right. months ago when fewer people knew who he was are total imbeciles. How do you claim that it is the name ID question that caused the 11-point race I think, when you love the three-point poll? I think all of it's the ridiculous. polls at this time of year are interesting but mushy. So which is right, three, 11, or six? None. I, no, I mean, no. Yeah. No, I think, they're, right. I think they're mushy. None? No, I don't think any of them are right. do, which, which do you think, I think is closer most to of the, reality? I think that's what I just said. Most of the voters haven't decided. Most of the voters don't even know who one of the candidates is. That's not, any, that's not fun. You're I, not, you're not for, being For the fun. record, I didn't Emma, see. Emma, what's, what's closer to reality? 3, 6, or 11? 
Well, I, I don't want to. I don't want to weigh in on that, but I will raise a point we alluded to earlier. You people, <laughs> it's a trap. I'll it's a 11. trap. Yeah, you'll go with 11. closer to reality. But what I was going to say, I'll though, with in, in all fairness, though, I didn't see any prominent Democrats celebrating the too close to call. Poll. Oh, there were a ton of non-prominent Democrats. Okay. <laughs> well, I think I think <laughs> Beto exactly himself is was a prominent and then Democrat. trashing the other one. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's probably high single digits to low doubles. I mean, I think the 11 number is not that far off. I think it's probably. It's sort of in there. It's it's a closer race than we've some, seen in the Some past. kids like popcorn. Some kids don't like popcorn. Okay. I'm I'm sticking with this is going to be close-ish-esque er than normal. Mr. Yeah. Cracker Jack's over here. I want to talk about him hitting 254 counties in Texas. His campaign is obviously very proud of this. He's very proud of it. He's held, I think, town halls in most of these counties where anybody off the street can he's walk the, in. He's the John Odom of 2018. I mean, does, does that matter? Because this is something that I feel like O'Rourke supporters are the most enthused about is the contrast between the events that he's having versus the events that Cruz is having. It's certainly what induces what you would call them, you know, the kind of the non-prominent Democrats, everybody on, on Twitter and everything is the contrast between the kind of campaigning that they're doing. So does it? What does it matter that he's going he goes to places to where Democrats typically don't go, and where the people who live in uh, people who live in these counties often don't see Democratic candidates and don't think to themselves, "There are people out there like me." There are not a lot of Democrats in. Is most it a of good strategy, places. though? Well, it, as opposed to what? What they've yeah, been doing? Yeah, he's going. Yeah. He's trying to. What they've been doing I mean, is a the, terrible the, strategy. Right? He's, the, what he's trying to do is go from being a non-prominent <laughs> Democrat to becoming a prominent Democrat, and he's right. used this to generate right. free media and to get a lot of attention. It is stolen from. Uh, the playbook of Ted Cruz in 2012, who stole it from a playbook other people have used. Look, if you if you did can't Cruz, get I mean, money, did Cruz go to all counties? And he didn't do it this yeah. way, but he did it in in his own way. He went everywhere and went where uh, candidates for U.S. Senate typically don't go, and generated a bunch of you know news and name ID and attention that he would not otherwise have gotten. And he beat David Dewhurst, who was both rich and an incumbent lieutenant governor, in a year when everybody thought Dewhurst was going to walk away with that thing. You know, it's a, it's a it's a way to operate if you don't have a bunch of money and you don't already have the name ID. And I you know I think it's I think it's benefited him. Whether it made it, the race competitive or not is another thing, but it's made yeah. it a talker here and around the country. Yeah, and as we noted earlier, it seems like Beto might have the advantage of the month of August if Ted Cruz is stuck in D.C. voting in the Senate right. as Mitch McConnell canceled the August recess yesterday. So, could that play into this? So and Cruz is, to be clear, Cruz doesn't seem worried about that. He was one of the leading voices calling, calling for, for that. Yeah. At, 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 at the end of the day, this race is not going to be determined, I really do believe, by what happens on the ground here. This race is going to be determined by the national political environment. What's going to make this race truly competitive, what is going to have to happen for this race to be truly competitive, right. is that the national political environment is going to have to collapse around Republicans. Yeah, Trump has to stumble enough to put... Democrats in Texas. O'Rourke is going to have to significantly overperform every Democrat for the last right. 20 plus years in order for this race to truly be competitive. That is not to say he can't, but it is a huge mountain he's climbing, and it's Kilimanjaro, not the Franklin Mountains. It, this is a much bigger mountain. And I, and I would say, you know, this is early to say, but I think at this point, if you're a down ballot Texas Democrat on the statewide ticket, um, you hope that O'Rourke performs well enough that the expected performance of Lupe Valdez which doesn't look great against uh, Greg Abbott right now, uh, doesn't kill the campaign's down ballot. Sure. If you're running for lieutenant governor or AG or controller or any of the, those other seats. Yeah. Uh, we got time for one last question here from our audience. Andrew asks if there's any news on a cruise or work debate, specifically a Spanish debate. What do we know about that at this point? All we got is shirts and skins with Jimmy Kimmel, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll say out loud what I've said privately, and that is that we've invited Cruz and O'Rourke to debate at the Texas Tribune Festival, and we hope 
as that request makes its way through both campaigns that we can pull that off. Yeah. We and probably everybody else in the media would love to be the ones to orchestrate some massive debate before a wide audience. And there's no question that it's yeah. the marquee race on the ballot I, this I, year. I actually think both of the candidates in this one want to debate. You know, I mean, they're going to do all the dancing and stuff, but I, I, there's going to be at least one debate in this race. Yeah. Cruz has already said he doesn't speak Spanish well enough to do it. Right, yeah, he's basically said we're not going to do a Spanish. Well, how come Cruz and, and O'Rourke don't uh, have a dunking contest? Right? I think <laughs> you the show for the basketball game. And I think the Cruz ring ball the debate. Think. <laughs> is Beto a good Beto runs. He's a, he's a runner. He's not, does he play yeah. basketball? He's taller than know. Cruz, right? He probably could dunk on Cruz. Up to see. So there we go. It could be, they got to find the fourth person, but they could do 2v2. Two two. The, the new Jams Festival. And Kimmel Kattag and another late night. The new Jams event at the Texas yeah. I think Cruz and Tucker Carlson versus Kimmel and O'Rourke. I'd go to that game. You would? Yeah. All right. That's all the time we have. <laughs> Thank God. If you like listening to the TripCast every week, we hope you'll try our audio news brief, which shows up every morning on your Amazon Alexa smart speaker or podcast player. Search for Texas Tribune Brief on your favorite podcast app. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music and to our sponsors this week, TASBO, the Texas Bankers Association, and BNSF Railway. On behalf of Evan, Ross, Emma, and our producers, Bobby, Michael, Ray, and Todd, this is Patrick. Thanks for listening. Texas Evan, is that right? Zvitek? Goodness gracious.